Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy that you're tuning in for today's episode. If you are new, if this is your first time listening, a very special welcome to you. You have stumbled across my favorite thing. This was a passion project in quarantine that has now turned into a little, uh, dare I say, business. We're, we're on our way. We're headed, we're headed towards that word. Um, but again, I'm just so grateful that you all are here. And gosh, for those of you who have been listening and for those of you who come back week after week and listen to our episodes a massive thank you to you. I see you. I get the best DMs from you. And it means so much to me when you share podcast episodes on your stories. Many of you have left a five-star review on iTunes. If you have not yet done that, that's such a great way to give back to the podcast. It's it's a way that many women find these episodes and are then encouraged, which is the hope and heart behind every conversation and episode, including today's. Well, I hope that you all had a wonderful weekend. We had an amazing weekend in Los Angeles, well, in Santa Barbara, actually. Actually, um, but my husband and I are in LA. We welcomed our first guests, my twin sister. Whitney and my mom came out to see me and it was so much fun playing house with them and having them redecorate things with me. I asked that I asked for their opinions, okay guys. And um, it was just amazing and I even had the opportunity to take them to my favorite resort in uh, Santa Barbara, San Ysidro Ranch. If you all are not familiar, oh my word, get familiar. It's the most beautiful boutique resort in our area. Um, and it's, it's really heaven on earth. So all around, we had a beautiful weekend. I hope that you all can say the same. Um, hosting is such an amazing theme over here at the Landers household now that we have the space to do so. And it was really fun. Last week's Emily's edit was dedicated to all things hosting. Emily's Edit is a weekly drop that gives you shoppable links. I hope that you all will check them out. It's a great way to support the podcast. You can shop those links anytime you do. The commission there will come back straight to the podcast to our amazing team. We actually pay to have audio edited and a few other behind-the-scenes things. So just a friendly reminder, as you shop those, you are supporting HSDT, as well as if you shop Daily Harvest, our newest sponsor, use the code HSDT at checkout for $40 off your first box. Okay, guys, well, we've got some of the admin out of the way. How about this? How about a new episode? Here is Lauren Wilson on How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Lauren Wilson, is the founder of Dora Mar, a fashion platform to shop a curated selection of pre-owned luxury fashion from the most coveted closets, all in one place. Lauren's career in fashion began when she was a student at USC and upon graduating, moved to New York for a role at Ralph Lauren. She has since launched Dora Mar, where access to curated closets meets a luxury shopping experience. The Dora Mar team champions the style and story behind each luxury piece they consign. Lauren and her team continue to empower the re-commerce movement by providing a platform that allows you to experience how pre-owned luxury fashion can become an essential part of your modern wardrobe. 
With each piece consigned, their team of industry experts styles fully shoppable looks from their muses imagined for fashion today. Some of their muses even include former and upcoming HSDT guests, such as Pamela Munson, born on 5th, and Natalie Steen of The Nat Note, to name a few. When Lauren isn't working closely with her team or staying up to speed on the latest trends, she is likely visiting family on the West Coast, running on the West Side Highway, or enjoying time with her friends in New York City. Lauren, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you so much, Emily. That that was a great bio. I feel very, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should. You, you should be very cool and very accomplished. I am so excited <laughs> uh, about this episode. And it was really fun just connecting with you briefly before we started recording and hearing about the women you've already connected with, some of your muses. There's such a cool overlap with the HSDT community. So I know my listeners are excited to get to know you today. Yeah, it's so fabulous, the communities and how they can all connect now. Um, and our, that's what I love about Dormar. And I know we'll get in, get into that. But really, these muses represent so many different faces and, and types of women and, and so many different connections. So I'm excited to, to dig in as well. Uh, likewise. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a lot of fun. For those of you who have listened before, and, and Lauren, I know you know this, I love to kind of start from the beginning with my guest. I really want to get to know you. So perhaps tell yeah. us, where did you go to school and what did you major in? Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, I grew up on the West Coast. Well, I don't know if you consider Arizona West Coast, but for, <laughs> for New Yorkers, it's the West Coast. So yes. I grew up in Arizona and um, I went to USC, um, US, University of Southern California, which is in LA. Um, I think I chose USC for a couple of reasons. It's obviously a fantastic school. It's got that really traditional college feel, but I also loved how much a students hustled. Um, because it's in LA, you not only get to take you know classes from from fantastic professors, but you also have the opportunity um, to really start your professional career quite early. There's so many internship positions, mm. um, especially for in, in entertainment and in fashion. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I've always loved fashion. You know, so many so many women grow up loving fashion. Um, and at USC, I was opened up to a world of how many possibilities they were there were in the industry besides just being a designer. And I, I remember going onto the USC yeah. career page, spring semester, freshman year, and seeing an internship at Jimmy Choo in their uh, PR office. And I, I think I <laughs> fell off my dorm room bed. I was like, oh my gosh, I can work at Jimmy Choo. <laughs> um, and I applied for the position. I remember going into the office for an interview um, and I was majoring in communications, minoring in business. So really, you know, it's a, it oh, was wow. a pretty, pretty like, you know, wide open array of things you can do with those, with that major and that minor. Um, I remember going into the office, I interviewed with Sarah Riff, who was um, their director of, of entertainment relations. I think she's still there today. Wow. And I remember someone coming in and being like, so should we send this bag to Rihanna or this one? And I was like, I have to work here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a few months later, I think they were going through transition. Um, while my summer job was hostessing between freshman year and, and sophomore year of college, I was waiting for that call from Jimmy Choo. And in July 2009, I got that call that, hey, you've got, you've got the internship. Um, so I was like, mom, dad, I'm heading back to school early. I'll figure it out um, and and hit the ground running and, and became became kind of a super intern. Um, <laughs> if you've seen Lauren Potter on the Hills, like it was, it was that, but like way less glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. No, you just said something that that's kind of piquing my interest. This was an internship during your sophomore year of college. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So I would, I interned every semester from, you know, first semester, sophomore year through to when I graduated. I think, wow. you, you know, fashion is, um, you know, obviously USC and I, I got my master's at NYU in costume studies. Um, so that critical understanding of fashion is, is really important and something that you can only really learn in the classroom. But I think experience is the most key when it comes to fashion. It's just mm. um, building that network, um, learning how absolutely insane fashion can be and, you know, how to roll with the punches, be resourceful, think on your toes. Those are things that, you know, only internships could could have taught me. So mm. um, I was at Jimmy Choo and then I went to the celebrity PR office at Armani, which was just so cool. Wanda McDaniels has been at Armani, um, heading up their LA office since before I can remember. She became famous for you know, putting Michelle Pfeiffer um, in the <laughs> 90s in a Navy Armani gown. And that really sparked like this celebrity red carpet um, dressing that we see today, even yesterday <laughs> at the Met. Um, so Armani's in Hollywood are just so um, intrinsic. And so that was just such a fabulous experience. And then I rounded it out at Vogue in their LA office with Lisa Love. And oh. um, which was really, I mean, Lisa's been at Vogue for, for a very long time. And what I heard from the New York interns in Vogue at Vogue is that the LA interns had the opportunity to go to photo shoots, which I did oh. um, because there were so few of us. So it was really those hands-on learning experiences and and these bosses today that, you know, that mentors that have inspired me that have guided me through my career to where it is now in, in New York. Wow. Well, it's so impressive right off the bat. And I know listener, you're already enjoying this. I'm 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 just like thinking of all of the different things you are stepping into and we're kind of we're kind of buzzing through it. But I know that even after postgrad, you actually stepped into an incredible role as well. But I love the lesson. I mean, just right off the bat, Lauren, you're mm -hmm. blowing me away with the encouragement <laughs> for, for people who are listening. You know, there's, there's no, it's never too early to kind of begin that process of networking and stepping into different internships. So correct me if I'm wrong, is that four internships throughout uh, post-grad or excuse me, undergrad? During undergrad, so I was at Jimmy Choo, I was at Armani, and then I was at Vogue. So it was three. It's so impressive, though. I mean, that that's so fun to hear that you were able to step into those different roles all during school. That's crazy <laughs> to me. So tell us a little bit about your you're at Vogue. Um, you're kind of wrapping up school. What was mm -hmm. post grad like for you? What was your thought process in ultimately getting to the East Coast? Oh goodness, I mean, I think you know we'll get into it with Doramar. I think um, something that I, I love myself for, but sometimes hate myself for, is I don't ever <laughs> think things through entirely because it's too scary to kind of like line up all your ducks. Yeah. So I just jump in head first. So, um, oh my God, I forgot about my New York experience. My goodness, I've had too many internships, I guess. Um, between between junior and senior year of college, so I had studied, I was at Armani, I studied abroad in Paris for a semester, my um, second semester of junior year. Oh, wow. And then New York had always like helped, you know, spellbound me like so many fashion girls. And I was like, okay. I want to know if I could live here post-grad. So that summer between junior and senior year, um, a friend of mine, two friends of mine were getting internships in New York and I got an internship at Elle Magazine and their digital side, which is really oh. exciting because it was 2011. So digital was like becoming, it's not what it is now, but it was really like getting a lot more attention. And um, there was finally departments like dedicated to digital. Wow. Um, and I also wasn't a closet intern at Elle. I didn't have to schlep things around. I got to sit <laughs> at the computer and like pick out trend stories. So like I also felt um, very cool. And then that's when New York just kind of like, you know, I was like wrapped in its spell. And I was like, I have to be back here after grad. So oh. I went back to USC for my senior year. That's when I was at Vogue. Um, and then May, like whenever I graduated mid-May, I told my, I had no job in New York. It's one of those things with fashion that is just such a bummer as all your finance friends out of grad are getting, you know, have had their jobs secured for a year. Yes. And 
fashion, like there's not as many positions open in that way. They don't have the resources to pull in big graduating classes to do, you know, these associate programs. So when a job opens, it's like, you're ready to start the next day. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so in May, mid-May, when I graduated, I was like, mom and dad, I'm moving to New York. They're like, you have no job. What are you <laughs> going to do? And I was like, give me three months. Like, please give me three months. I know I can do this. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that's where all the network pulls in. We've got to like really put yourself out there. Who do you know? Who can I meet with? I can't stress enough how important informational interviews are. Mm. Even if there's not a job, like just getting someone on the phone, meeting someone for coffee, like putting your name in the arena is so important. Even if mm. you feel like you're so underqualified or like you're so embarrassed to reach out to this person, like don't be. Yeah. Um, and the way I got my first job at Ralph Lauren was, was through this kind of like wheel of network. So I had somehow gotten an interview at Oprah magazine for like an editorial oh. assistant position. Yeah. I didn't get the job um, for whatever reason. Yeah. And, but the, the woman I interviewed with uh, we had such a great conversation. Her friend, was doing PR at Ralph Lauren and Ralph Lauren was looking for someone to join their, their PR team, passed my resume along. I interviewed two days later, I started. So yeah, it was just, just so kind of like serendipitous in a way, but also it's just, you know, putting, like I said, putting your name out there, um, you know, putting your best foot forward every time you meet someone, you never know who someone knows. And that's yeah. such a powerful thing, I think. Oh, I love it. And it's so fun too. I love that you were just like, I'm going to New York. And I think for those who are listening and the New York, you know, dream is a part of your next steps, you got to get there. You really got to be there. Mm -hmm. Lauren, would you agree? I mean, it's if you're there, you can get a role, but if you're not there, it's, you, you can't quite wait around. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I think obviously it's like not so easy, you know, to always just like jump up and move. But I right. think something that I didn't have the the platforms to do this. But now, you know, when, even when I'm looking for interns for Dora Mar and, and people to join the team, yeah. um, with all the like creative platforms that exist, just like start doing something. Like yeah. even in your hometown, if you like don't, if there isn't an Armani to work at or whatever, <laughs> like start putting your thoughts out about like what fashion means to you. And you don't even have to have a following. What's important is that you have a point of view yeah, and you're like developing that critical thinking wow. and that context of fashion, you know, that, and I think that's what impresses me about people that join Dora Mar. Like they're just constantly thinking about like what fashion means today. Mm. Um, and that is something that, you know, TikTok and Instagram stuff that didn't exist for, <laughs> for me. I mean, like, I feel like I'm dating myself. <laughs> same, same here. <laughs> oh Instagram was like what I thought you used to filter photos when it first came out. Totally. I didn't realize it was a social platform. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Well, this is so much fun. And and all of uh, the different entities and pieces of your stories lining up. Um, I, I feel such a connection to you. I did kind of the same thing. Post-grad, moved to New York. I actually worked at Foot Locker Corporate. Um, and oh, yeah. I remember one of the men who worked at Foot Locker with me, his girlfriend was um, at Ralph Lauren. And mm -hmm. she just looked like Ralph Lauren. I remember when she would come in, I was like, oh my gosh, this person is just just fabulous. So to think of you being there and working there and, and stepping into that, tell us, tell us a little bit about that role. Maybe, maybe tell us, did you grow at Ralph Lauren and continue there? What, what did that uh, kind of post-grad chunk of time look like? Yeah. It's so funny you say that Ralph Lauren is such a look, right? Like you know yes. exactly when it's a Ralph girl. Yes. Um, I can tell you that the offices on Madison are out of a Ralph ad. Like wow. it is dark paneled wood. Like you've stepped into a different a different oh. place. Um, oh. And I do have like a Rachel Green type of story. So I started basically the way I started at Ralph Lauren, um, it was like a temp position. So 
They needed someone to step in to be, to like kind of run the whole fashion show. Fashion show, obviously, like it's such a big production. Yes. The guest list, you know, especially with Ralph, who who didn't show this, this past, this past week, but um, usually he has huge productions. So the person that was in the PR assistant role went to be the PR person for the show. And I stepped in as the assistant role. Uh Um, So I did the assistant role for like two months while they planned the show. And then I moved into like what's called the accessories associate role. I took like over for someone on mat leave. Um, for like five months. So basically that role was really cool because it was basically being the like liaison between the accessories designers and the rest of the business, whether it be like product development, merchandising, PR. Like I basically was like the, the anchorship of like where and how these accessories were being like pulled to in the business. Like if Halle Berry had to wear something like design had to do it. If we needed to send something to Italy, like we would need to pull it back, whatever it is. Like I was kind of running that, that operation. And that's where I had my like Rachel Green moment. I was like, <laughs> I, mean, I was 22. Like wow. I was trying so hard to be, you know, fashionable, but your salary is not amazing at, you know, at that <laughs> level. Um, and I used to, and I still do today, get that 3 p.m. coffee where you're like about to keel over. <laughs> so I was coming back from my 3 p.m. coffee, like paying no attention to anything. I walk into the elevator. It's, Ralph Lauren himself and like a security guard. And I like look around and the elevator doors closing. And I'm like, is this one of those like moments I shouldn't be in the elevator? <laughs> he was very gentlemanly. He said, good afternoon. I hope you're having a good day. And he was very, very kind. Like oh. exactly what you would picture, you know, Mr. Lauren to be like. Oh. Um, but that was like an iconic moment, you know, that I will never forget. Yes. Um, so yes, oh. that, I mean, Ralph Lauren was an incredible, I think so many fashion people mm. come out of Ralph Lauren. It's obviously a huge a huge corporation. Um, I personally, as an entrepreneur, I'm so inspired by Mr. Lauren. I think mm. there was a documentary that Netflix put out maybe a year or two ago and um, just the lifestyle brand that he's done for himself. And, yeah. you know, I think every brand wants to become more than just a product. You want to become a whole world. Mm. And there's no better example than than Ralph Lauren. Mm. No, it, it, it's so true. I mean, it, it's and it's so fun that that kind of iconic moment for you. I, I that the the picture that I'm getting that I just thought of <laughs> is from the Dove Wears Prada. Remember when that girl mm-hmm. jumps on the elevator and she says, Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, and, and jumps off. So for mm-hmm. you to be there and for you to have that kind of iconic, not just New York, but gosh, like American moment of like, hello, Mr. Lauren, is so fun. But I love too what you're sharing because something you just said, I think is exactly what, and we're gonna get into it, what you're doing with Dora Mar is it all encompassing, you know, for a brand mm-hmm. to be everything, not not just this, not just that. And I think that's really where you're headed with your muses and all of the different things you're doing. So I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but but I, I'm <laughs> definitely tracking with you. Uh, and, and one last thing too that I love that you just shared that I think is really interesting for those of you who are either thinking about New York or have lived in New York or perhaps you're just curious. Uh, Lauren just shared, you know, quite a bit of m- moving in different temporal, so a temporary role. Maybe someone's on maternity leave and they'll be back or whatnot. Those were almost all of my roles in New York. And that's that's mm-hmm. a very common theme, I think, in fashion. So just a quick side note there is people move around in the company. That's often how people hire. So if you're able to get your foot in the door, uh, you likely will be there for some time. Now, tell us this. Is that the case for you? What, what was after Ralph Lauren? What did that transition yeah. look like? Yeah. So I remember in, uh, oh my gosh, I don't even want to do the years now, like maybe February 2013 <laughs> sort of thing. So I was at yeah. Ralph Lauren from like 
August 2012 through like, I think February, March of 2013. Oh, nice. Um, my old Armani boss, um, who also went to USC, was moving to New York. Uh-huh. And she was going to work for Gucci and there um, for their director of entertainment relations, a woman named Lila Staub, who was a huge source of inspiration for me, uh, both for her experience in fashion and just how she is as a leader. Um, and I had messaged uh, Sogol, who was my my intern boss, turned Gucci boss as well. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing in New York? She's like, I'm, I'm going to work for Gucci. And she was like, actually, I'm looking for an assistant. And uh-huh. I was like, well, I, I'm I'm sold, and um, <laughs> so I I went to Gucci and did um, celebrity PR. So this was before Alessandra Michelle was there, which is obviously like where the brand is now, and it's really buzzy. This is when um, Frida Giannini was there, and Blake Lively was the face of the brand, James Franco. Uh. So a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was obviously red carpet dressing for the Oscars or can when i was there we were doing a big big um initiative called chime for change mm. um led by Salma hayek pino who um is married to obviously the owner of carrying uh, francois wow. and it was this big charity concert and in, in london and beyonce was there daisy was there jayla was there um like i can't even remember all the celebs we dressed and so <laughs> it was a lot of like big pr moments and i think you know a lot of what i learned at gucci has pulled into Dormar, like what is the power of celebrity and influence? Mm. And obviously influence goes so much beyond celebrities now. Um, But, you know, really what does that look like? How do you work those relationships and those partnerships? They can be quite complex. Wow. Um, You know, it's not easy working with, with people at that level either. So how, you know, how do you handle more difficult personalities, that sort of thing? Um, And just working for a heritage luxury brand. I mean, I think that's one of those things that's, you know, Ralph Lauren is the same, but Gucci's based in Europe. So you're dealing with a ton of different international offices. And, wow. you know, Italy is is where you're getting the commands from. I mean, that's where the creative team sets. Um, so understanding how to to work with, with um, you know, people in, in different cities and different uh, ways of working as well. Well, you just said something that I don't think I've ever kind of unpacked with a guest, which is... Yeah, you actually, and we've had we've had amazing guests on that that have worked, you know, with people all over the world. But you just broke it down for me really well. Like, yeah, you're getting commands from Italy when you're at mm-hmm. Gucci. You're trying to maneuver American celebrities. Uh, you're thinking about the concert in London. I mean, that was a global position that you held. I mean, so to think about that and and then to think about what you're doing now, it's like how exciting because I bet the lessons that you've learned throughout your career, which will continue to to move forward in, um, I don't know if you've even been able to put them all into action yet. Like I'm excited for you because I'm like, you know, (laughs) wow, you know a lot if you're dealing with all these different entities, all these different cultures, all these different people. Um, what would maybe surprise us about that? Because for so many of my listeners, you know, they don't have necessarily someone to call in Italy to to get something done or, or you know, they're not prepping for something in the UK. What was your favorite thing about having so many different entities involved? Oh, goodness. I mean, I don't think I would have been in my career where I'm at today with without being able to understand how to juggle so many moving parts and so many personalities. Wow. I mean, that's where that experience kind of comes in because you're balancing what the creative director wants, what the celebrity wants, what the agent wants. I mean, you forget wow. that like these agents and managers, like a lot of times are the decision makers before it even gets to the celebrity themselves. Mm. Um, and that can be a, a, you know, a pull and tug in and of itself. 
Mm. Um, there's a stylist involved as well. And I think um, there's also that thing with, with brands where they're very choosy on who they dress. Mm. So how do you manage like an up and coming celebrity versus someone you want to dress versus someone you don't want to dress versus like, who's going to be big. I mean, that, that sort of like, it's, you know, it's PR, right. You're like juggling, like where, where are you going to get the attention without like putting someone down? Who's like going to become so, you know, right. I mean, I guess good examples, you know, Eva Longoria and and I think Megan Markle have also talked about like when they were who they are today, (laughs) um, really struck. I mean, like the Megan Markle, obviously, um, (laughs) really struggle to get dressed and noticed by these big brands, right? And yeah. so big brands have to really pay attention um, to to who to who means what in the in the fashion world. And wow. um and I think that, you know, and we can get into this later, but like that really digs into like this inclusion and diversity thing that fashion mm. has really struggled with both historically and today. Yeah. Um so I mean there's so there is a lot to unpack um, you know, in celebrity filled culture amongst the backdrop of a heritage brand, which wow. could probably be its own podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, wait, is that its own podcast just then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Lauren, this is so fun. I love I love thinking about you in this role and I love thinking about, I'm sure, the many crazy different experiences you have. Well, tell us this because I'm really excited to hear, and it feels like the entrepreneurial spirit was always something that was in you, um, but you're at Ralph Lauren, you move over to Gucci and, mm-hmm. and have an amazing experience there and really a global influence of your own with the role that you were in. What what was next? Are, are we getting towards that entrepreneurial push or or is there another role at Gucci? What did that look like? No. Oh my gosh. There was a long road. I wouldn't ever say that like I dreamed of running a company or being an entrepreneur, to be honest. Wow. I think in like okay. school project in school projects and even like at work, like when I really think back, like I would always naturally take the leadership role because I'm also like a control freak and I get high anxiety <laughs> if like things are not done by a deadline. So I'll just be like, put it on me because I trust myself to get it done. Totally. So when I look back, like there were those tendencies, but I never like dreamed of that. But I've got to be totally honest on on where I was after Gucci. So I was at Gucci for a year and a half. Absolutely lovely team. Um, cannot say enough good things about Sogol and Lila, who are my bosses and still my friends and mentors today. Oh. Um, but I was 24 and I'm going to be totally honest and hopefully this helps someone there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I was really kind of like sick and tired of like, I, I think when you go from 22 to like being assistant in fashion, 23, 24, yes. like you get burned out and you're like, I'm just kind of like sick of this. Like yes. I just need to like, what do I want to do? This is maybe not like what I thought it was. Um, and so I've loved fashion in a way that is, you know, I love the history of fashion. I love mm-hmm. seeing like why something was designed the way it was in this collection. Like where were the inspirations? Who was a historical figure? What mm-hmm. was the context of the historical figure? And there was this really niche grad program at NYU that I had had my eye on since I graduated from USC. Oh. It's a master's in costume studies. Literally there's, 12 people per class. It's a two-year program. Um, and it really is like an anthropological study of fashion. So you start literally from like cave people all the way through the 20th century and like how fashion has developed in light of who we are as people, who we are as a society, what matters, where, you know, what, like it's, it's a real, it's kind of like art history, but instead of looking at a painting, you're looking at fashion, which a lot of times is through painting. Um, and I thought I wanted, you know, in light of the Met, and I feel so pumped up right now that we're having this conversation because, <laughs> you know, the Met is one of the biggest nights in fashion and it really gets you thinking on where the industry is going. But yeah. um, I really wanted to be like Andrew Bolton, 
who's the chief curator at the Costume Institute. Wow. Um, and uh, that's why I went into the program because the program does gear itself to, you know, potentially going into museum work. So I did the program for two years. Um, in between the summer, in between those two years, I interned under Phyllis McGedson, who was just like a famous fashion curator at the Museum of the City of New York. And that museum is all about New York fashion. And they just have an incredible collection of like Gilded Age fashion. Obviously, like the Vanderbilt wow. Rockefellers in New York were just, um, you know, obviously huge, huge fashion consumers. Um, and I realized in that time, though, that, you know, museum work is very slow. It's very mm. technical. And I was like, where'd they wear? Where's the Vogue article? Like, who's the celeb behind it? Like, I wanted like the mm. glitz and glam and like fast pacedness of it all. Yes. So when I graduated NYU, um, I went to Christie's oh. the, um, Action House. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good combination of, um, you know, historical collections. You know, it's, it's consignment of, of collections that are fine art, watches, wine, jewelry, you know, anything that's that's a luxury item um, at the highest, highest of level. So I did marketing for their luxury department, which is the wine watches, handbags, and jewelry. Um, and so what that really meant is, you know, every year there's, you know, a handful of sales in each city, New York, Geneva, London, Hong Kong. Um, and I kind of really ran our uh, marketing for our New York sales. So like if the collection of Betsy Bloomingdale's coming up, her jewelry collection is like an iconic Harry Winston, you know, behemoth of a vault. Oh. Um, how are we talking about that? How are we positioning it? How are we finding buyers? Um, and, you know, Christie's obviously played a huge role in how I see consignment mm. and how I see what um, is something that's really missed from resale, which is that idea of provenance. And if you're not familiar with provenance, it's like, when you buy a piece of fine art, you have all the records of the ownership of that piece of art. So, mm. you know, from the time Picasso painted it to when it, where it was exhibited, to who bought it, to what auction house put it up for auction. And that really is a transcript of like how much it should be valued at. And it kind of proves its authenticity. Wow. And that's something that hasn't existed in luxury secondhand as it as it stands. And so that at Christie's was so important, like even down to our marketing materials, that provenance was like incredibly important. Um, and, you know, after Christie's, I think I, I was there for about two years, two and a half years, I really missed fashion. So I went to Mode Operandi, which is a New York luxury fashion e-commerce company run by Lawrence Anna Domingo, who still is today, like my number one fashion girl. She is <laughs> so she and she's like, so she could Oscar Taylor until last night. Um, oh. And that's where I got bit by that e-commerce bug. Like, and that was, you know, Chrissy's was on one end of the spectrum in terms of what it was like to work for a big corporation that's been there for 250 years. And Moda was the opposite. Moda was like, you better pull on your britches and like, this is sink or swim here. Um, but I love that environment. You know, like fashion is such a mess, but it's like the mess that makes everyone like, want to keep going and give you like that <laughs> adrenaline hit. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so fun. I'd actually, I knew that you had been there, but I forgot that portion of your story, which is so fun. And two, just like a side note, my, my jaw was to the ground when you reminded me that you were 24 leaving Gucci because <laughs> so many of my guests, I mean, we just, we went through your internships and then your post-grad season of life. And many of my guests, you know, they're like, oh, and by then I, you know, their age, it's just, the, insane. So for you to remind me that you were 24 at that time, I'm like, oh my 
gosh, Lauren, this is insane. So so for you to, again, and be able to take that step and say, you know, what is it that I love? And, and before we started recording, you shared, you know, your love of art and museums and, and really being able to spend time there um, as you live in the city and whatnot, um, and hopefully spend more time in the coming months, whatnot. But, but for you to be able to say, okay, well, I want to go to NYU. And there's so many different things from your, your time in costume studies and then on to Christie's being in the luxury department. Um, that I can see, like, I feel like we're getting to that point of, okay, I, I kind of see where some of this inspiration might be coming from. And I love that we were kind of macro in the beginning of your career as it goes. And now listener, hopefully you're enjoying this as much as I am, but we can, we can see how Lauren kind of went micro and how perhaps, perhaps we're going to hear, you know, how, Dora Mar kind of came together and, and really at Mata, you were able to get that e-commerce uh, bug and excitement. So tell us a little bit about that season and perhaps the beginning thoughts of Dora Mar. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I, I jumped into Moda and I was in our um, business development and VIP client experience team. So I started as a coordinator. And when I left, I was I was a manager. Wow. Um, but really, what that is is like you know, with luxury, it's such a psychological purchase, especially at the level of like the Moda client who's yeah. spending. You know, some of the top clients who spend a million dollars a year. Wow. And this is like we're talking about like the one percent of the one yeah. percent that are spending at Moda here. And um, half of Moda's business was really driven by um, these stylists who had these you know big client books of women that spend tons of money, and they're you know, massaging these clients, traveling around the world with them, taking them to couture shows, inviting them to parties, doing wow. private fittings, you know, it's really like massaging them to continue to spend. Wow. Um, and that's what you have. luxury is very, very high touch. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, we'll get into it, which is, you know, when you go into kind of VC fundraising and stuff, like people get a little bit nervous about how, how high touch it is. Right. Um, but I really saw, okay, like what's going to make a luxury consumer spend more? It's that, it's that experience and that relationship with them. And, and even further, you know, Lauren's Domingo is like the ultimate muse. I mean, mm. every, you look at her and whatever she says she's wearing, you want to wear. Yeah. Um, she has that inherent like je ne sais quoi or whatever, you know, you want. Yeah. She she is just enigmatic in that way. Um, and so Doramar really like, so all the workings of Doramar were there, right? Like, especially having now been at Moda and seeing just like admin wise or, you know, how, how do you like, how do all the departments work at an e-commerce site? Like what departments need to be there? Like how do operations work? Who does fulfillment? Wow. You know, all that stuff that like, I didn't learn elsewhere. I was really picking up at Moda and as any startup goes, and I joined Moda when they were like seven or eight years old. So they were like an established company, but still very much a startup and yes. you get to do so much and learn so much. Um, but Doramar came to me like almost com like, by accident in a way. Like oh, wow. I literally remember this so vividly because I just got dinner with a friend who I had left dinner with when I got the Doramar idea. Like I oh. was, it was like a Sunday evening in October. It was October, 2018 when I got the idea and I was like scrolling through Instagram and um, someone I follow who, who actually was a, a former intern of mine at Gucci. She is a celebrity stylist now. And um, she was selling her closet on her Instagram and she she has, you know, a little following and she, ended up like putting on everything she was selling and doing like a little editorial shoot around it. Oh. And I found myself DMing her and being like, I want this. I want that. Oh my God, I would have never thought I would have worn this. And like something ran over my body. You know, those, those <laughs> chills you get when you're like, I'm on to something. Yes. I was like, why doesn't a place where like all the most fashionable women that like, I want to emulate their style. Why doesn't all their closets live on one place where it's like editorialized, stylized. It makes you want to buy resale. I think 
you know, there's obviously so many tailwinds behind resale, but like you don't go on these platforms being like, God, I really want to spend $500 on that like dress thrown on like an ugly mannequin. I have no idea yes. if it's real or where it's from. Yes. And that's like really where Dormar came from. And I called my mom and dad and I was like, guys, I've got the best new thing. And my parents were like, oh, I mean, I like am very impressionable. Like I'll see something and I'm like, I got to go for it. And so they're like, <laughs> oh, there goes Lauren. Um, and then I really put pedal to the metal on like looking at how big the market size was. And, you know, it's, it at the time was growing 24 times faster than traditional retail. Wow. Um, there was like so much white space out there for a business like Dormar. And um, I just said, I, you know, I have to go for this. And um, it took a while, like I guess October 2018 is when I had the idea. Um, and I ended up leaving Moda September 2019 to really take it off the ground. Wow. So, I mean, it was a long time of like, concepting, understanding, like, first of all, finding the name was really difficult for yes. us. We, I really wanted to make sure it was trademarked. Um, trademarking is not an easy process, but I also was very particular about how it looks yeah. like aesthetically. Um, and also that it meant something to the brand and mm. Dora Mar, um, is a historical figure. She was Picasso's muse, but more importantly, she was also a surrealist artist and, um, did a lot of fashion photography as well in Paris during the surrealism era of like the thirties and forties. So her ethos just spoke a lot to like Dormar in and of itself and that mm. concept of the muse and inspiration and art and provenance. And um, so that's kind of how it all started percolating. Oh, well, it's so fun to hear the beginning stages and even that, that aha moment, full body chills where you're like, I'm onto something <laughs> and that element of like, I can't not do this. So September, 2019, I love when we hit the dates because I'm always shocked by the turnaround and and all that my guests have gotten into. Tell us a little bit about what this has been like. Tell us about kind of your entrepreneurial experience with Dora Mar. And I love the meaning behind the name. What did it look like to fully invest your time, energy, and everything in that September kind of 2019 timeframe? Yeah. And honestly, it was literally September 19th. So like we're right around the time when two years ago when I, when I made the leap. Oh, wow. Um, in true, true honesty, like back to like, I don't think things through, like I wasn't necessarily ready to leave Moda, mm. um, in a sense that like Dormar was not in a place where it was like sustainable. Mm. Um, like we had gathered up like a few muses, like friends of mine who have an Instagram following who, you know, kindly were like, yeah, I'll consign with you or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it, it kind of came down to like, okay, if I'm going to actually do this and if I really think I can get this off the ground, I've got to I've got to put everything into it. I mean, just like running an e-commerce brand is a lot of work. You're dealing with physical product. Yes. Um, for Dormar, you're dealing with like individual, you know, SKUs as you call them, individual products. So like everything has to be cataloged wow. and looked at. So it's really time consuming. Oh. Um, so I left, I left um, Moda and was trying to think, okay, how do I get this off the ground now? Like I've literally left my full-time job. <laughs> like what does this even look like? Like we have bootstrapped this company and until this past spring, we did some fundraising, but we, you know, we're entirely bootstrapped. And um, I did take a few consulting jobs between like fall 2019 until the pandemic where I met who um, is now our brand marketing director, Brian, who's just like a um, godsend and has totally turned this company around. So it's funny if you, you know, you keep going and you keep meeting people and they keep coming together in your story. But I think uh, for any brand, like especially a brand as, as like nascent as Dora Mar was March, 2020 was like, I mean, oh my God, are we even going to do this anymore? Right. Moment. I mean, so we had just um, purchased a studio, not purchased, excuse me, rented a studio in, in, in Brooklyn wow. uh, where we'd warehouse everything, where we would shoot everything. Um, and like 
I was, you know, when March happened in New York, I was like, well, I can't even travel to the studio to get orders out. What few orders we actually had. Um, so close the studio. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but like places like Reformation and Edit Forte, like they put on their websites, like we can't send orders out right now. So I felt like in good company that I was like doing industry standards. Yes. I went home to Arizona um, for two months. Wow. Um, just because I needed to get out of the city. I live in this like tiny one bedroom apartment. I was like, I can't, I, I got to reevaluate here. Yes. I ended up coming up with this idea um, called like quarantine stories or something. I had like my muses, uh-huh. friends of my muses, just like kind of talk about what they're doing in quarantine, like small businesses they were supporting. And so it became that like organic UGC marketing. Wow. And that like really sustained the brand. Like we were able to make sales in April and May because those stories were kind of running. I mean, they were like so like, we had no brand guidelines. Like it was such a mess, but it was like at least like people knew Dormar was alive. Yes. Um, and then I came back in, in June and was like, okay, I'm kind of reinvigorated to see what this can be. And, um, you know, a big part of that for me was I am biracial. My, my dad's black, my mom's white. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole, um, you know, social justice movement that happened in June really sparked me. Yeah. Um, cause I felt that, you know, luxury has been such a closed ship in terms of who represents luxury. And I felt that the muses, the muse concept had this like incredible ability to, you know, give luxury that those different faces and that diversity that didn't exist, mm. but in a very like natural organic way and keep, still keeping in that like vein of luxury of where it's editorialized, it's stylized, it's uh, something you aspire to be, but it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. Wow. Um, and I didn't feel like there was any other platform like beyond, you know, the, the resale part of, you know, provenance and that sort of thing. Mm. Dormar had this incredible ability to put these faces against luxury that had never been marketed as such. Uh, um, and so that invigorated me to say, you know what, like we are going for this. And we ended up getting an incredible article in Vogue and, uh, um, some other team members we were able to organically pull together and, and, um, you know, really skyrocket the brand to, to where we're at now. Oh my gosh. Well, and two, and this to me, I, you know, I, I think I am, uh, fairly certain I can say this with confidence. You rocked through likely the hardest portion of 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 a brand and an early brand in 2020. Yeah. I mean, and for you to have not only survived but but really more likely than not kind of thrived in the elements that 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 were at play. Um and so it's just so cool to know that your leadership led you guys through that and then of course for a Vogue article to come out it's like Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And the muses that you've selected, um, they're amazing. You guys definitely need to go and check them out as well. But it's so fun to hear where you've come from and, and then kind of where you are now. Now, I know you mentioned a little bit about fundraising and 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 the different elements there that you have actually stepped into. Um, tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like. Where are you at now and how are you feeling about all that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think fundraising is one of those things that I never learned. Like they do not teach you that in school. Um, Even if you're part of a startup, like I was at Moda, when I was at Moda, the CEO, Deb Nicodemus had raised 165 million. I mean, it was absolutely like astronomical and and super incredible, but you know, I wasn't necessarily a part of that process. So when um, the Vogue article came out in the summer, this team pulled together, we had this incredible creative director, Inga, join on. And we were starting to get really cool muses, like Edward Barsemian was the ex-Vogue uh, style director, and he's he's oh. just so cool. And you know, all these amazing editors joined on, and um, these muses last fall like were really coming in the droves. And I was like, all right, so like maybe we should fundraise. Like I think that we've got like a scalable business here. Wow. Um, and like. <laughs> 
I, I didn't even know where to start. I, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I think one of the things that's unfortunate about COVID is people talk about founders going to all these networking events and panels and meeting each other. And that like didn't exist. Like, yeah. you go to a zoom lunch and learn, but like, it's difficult to make those connections. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I use, I LinkedIn stock people. I do everything I can to like get in touch with these VCs, but it is, um, you know, the stat, the most recent stat, I think it's like less than 2% of VC funding goes to women wow. and even less than a percent goes to women of color. Wow. Um, and so the, the stats are staggering. And I think I looked at those when I first started and said, okay, well, I got this. Right. But it's tough. It's really tough. I think, you know, venture capitalists have stick to a formula that is has worked really well for them, which yeah. is totally fair. There's a lot of money on the line. Um, and I think either consumer brands, you know, are really outside of their 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 knowledge base and they look at like a picture of a Gucci bag, they're like, why would anyone pay for this? Um, <laughs> or they just, you know, had a, an investment in consumer brand that went that went downhill and so they're scared of that space. And mm. um, so it was really like an uphill battle, but we um, last spring or this past spring, um, you know, it really takes just like one person to sign on for the rest to sort of um, join in. And we um, joined an accelerator program called Generator, wow. who's based in Madison and they were really kind of our first stamp of approval. And so they ended up, um, investing hundred thousand. And then we ended up raising 200,000 extra, um, from some angel investors from friends and family. And, you know, really my most proud moment would be, um, that USC has a, has a venture fund and they ended up contributing as well. And that, that felt very, very full circle that, you know, where my career and this internship and in fashion started, um, they're now invested in, in Duramar. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, we're about to go into another round. So it's like, here we go again. Um, but I think for anyone, you know, thinking about fundraising and, and what that looks like, it's, it's the same thing as getting a job. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got to get advice and, and, and just be shameless about, Hey, do you know this person at this VC? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do usually more than nine out of 10, they'll, they'll connect you. Um, and it's just, you know, and don't be afraid of failure. I think that's another thing for any, for anyone in any stage, you know, it's let those failures really drive you to the next phase of who you're supposed to be. Mm. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I'm writing down, I just wrote down those numbers. I'm like, okay, that's amazing to think about <laughs> you stepping into it. And, and for those of you who are listening, and this is an entity that that we, have, we haven't talked about a ton. So I really appreciate you, you guys, before we even started recording, Lauren was like, hey, I'd love to talk about this, if this is something that's going to be helpful. And I was like, yes, because this isn't an entity. I think we touched on it in Julia Amory's episode, Annette Azan, I know was a part of kind of a, a venture capitalist group. Um, but to be able to or to receive VC funding, but to be able to to step into that, I mean, that's going to be how you grow. That's going to be how we continue to hear about what you're up to. And I love that you're, you know, put your best foot forward. You said that earlier, but you're actually acting that out. You're actually doing that with all that you're stepping into. And gosh, again, you guys, for the timeline, that October 2018 idea to a September 2019 launch to today, we're talking about VC funding. It's really, really fun to hear. So Lauren, I'm wishing you continued success in this next round. And perhaps we'll have to do a follow-up because that's definitely a subject that I think we could dive into more. And you guys, if you're listening and you want to hear more and you want to chat, about it. I'm going to give you the chance to connect with Lauren here shortly, but just a little inside scoop there. And and again, I'm kind of throwing this out at you, Lauren. Perhaps that's a bigger conversation we need to have because I love all of the the entities that you just kind of shared with us. Well, one question that I I love to ask, um, and listeners usually uh, enjoy this one, I'd love to know what is, and this is a little loaded, what is perhaps the greatest (laughs) lesson you have learned that you could share with us? 
Oh goodness. I think it really kind of relates to that, that failure concept. Mm. Um, I think that failure is almost um, like a backhanded blessing, if you will, mm. um, especially in fashion, which is incredibly, you know, can be incredibly hierarchical. Um, and that upward mobility, I think we're so trained right now, especially, you know, my generation millennials of like 30 under 30, like you got to fit everything into like oh, I turn wow. 30 sort of thing. And yeah. you put so much pressure on success, right? Like I think that 34, 30 under 30 list is like a little bit of a mind trick for, for all of us because we end up just feeling inadequate yeah. that we're, that we're not there. And I'm, you know, I'm 31, so I didn't make it on that list. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, um, failure, especially for an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm grateful for the failures that I've had because it really makes you dig your heels in, um, to understand, you know, not necessarily like what went wrong, but like where maybe you missing things that you didn't understand at first, you know, like maybe it's a, a client conversation you need to have, or maybe, um, it's a potential conversation with a team member you need to have. Um, I think failures end up opening your eyes to ways of seeing that you maybe didn't think you could. Mm. Um, it's incredibly tough to weather failures. Like you just want to give up. Like, I think like probably yesterday I wanted to give up, right? Like we all want to <laughs> give up because it becomes really tough and the failures get really hard. And, um, you know, when you're starting a new business, lots of people say no to you, potential muses, potential clients, potential partners, yeah. potential investors, like you're getting a lot of no's. Um, but those no's only for me kind of make me dig deeper into Doramar and deeper to who like I want to be as a team and as a leader. And, you know, not everyone's going to say yes. And, mm. and that's, that is okay. And it's important to remember that, mm. that a no doesn't mean you suck. It just means you're on a path that's better for you. Yes. I definitely used to have the mentality of no means you suck. <laughs> I still do. I have to remind myself of that like every single yes. day. Yes. Oh, I think that's so good. And two, just thinking back on your story and this amazing conversation we've shared, uh, you know, that interview with the Oprah magazine and that woman, you know, that door did not open, but lo and behold, as that one closed, another one opened uh, for you. So there's just so many pieces of your story that I'm loving. And I really appreciate you sharing uh, that lesson. Definitely a good one. Uh, oftentimes I say pause and rewind. Well, you guys, that's that's right now. Pause <laughs> and rewind <laughs> and take a listen to what Lauren just shared. Well, Lauren, I know that you guys, oh my gosh, y'all always have something fun coming up. What's next for you? Oh my gosh. That is a big question too. Should we do another <laughs> podcast on that one? Um, <laughs> I think one of the most exciting things is like this Muse concept can go so many different ways. Like Seriously. There's so many partnerships we're excited about. There's just like these these women that we have coming on, on board or just they represent so many different types of women. So like we're launching our first Texas Muse, um, Samantha Stewart oh. on what's today? Tuesday on Thursday. Yeah. Oh. Um, we have a ton of Texas Muses coming on in October. Oh. Um, there's some kind of like potential public figures you guys will probably recognize that we hope are coming on board in the next month or two. And so, you know, always keep an eye out for, and I know we'll talk about how to connect, um, at the end of this, but always keep an eye out for the muses we have on board. And yes. I think something that is really meaningful to me and to the muses that's, you know, so different about Dora Mars, we have muses that, um, you know, will donate a lot their closet sales to a foundation or charity of their choice. Wow. And that's becoming, this charity component is becoming something that we're digging um, even further into as a brand and really understanding, you know, how can we like add this charity component even into like the checkout process. So clients are able to add like incremental dollars to a charity, but 
Um, you know, Lauren Levison is one of our huge muses. She's donating 100% of her proceeds to her Mount Sinai Foundation. Oh, um, Eliza, wow. Eliza, Eliza Campanella, she was a former Miss Universe and she lives in Hong Kong and New York and she's donating 50% of her closet sales to NAMI, which is a mental health advocacy foundation. And mm. so I think um, this is another thing that like really sets Stormar apart is that these muses, like their closet becomes a part of who they are and they want to use their closet to do good. And um, that's something that Dora Mars, you know, totally, totally wants to be a part of that, mm-hmm. uh, of that for them. And, and so I'm really excited to expand, um, expand that portion of who we are. Mm. Well, thinking back to uh, our thoughts on Ralph Lauren, just touching on every single entity, you are well on your way. So I love too, that there is a charitable kind of element and branch to all that you're doing. Well, Lauren, we have covered a lot. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to? Oh my goodness. I feel like there's so many, there's so many like things to go off of here, but I just think, you know, um, for anyone who's looking to get into fashion or or be an entrepreneur, it's just like, do not give up. Like, I think there's so many times when I would give ideas to my friends about what I'm going to do. And they're like, Oh yeah, cool. (laughs) And you're so embarrassed. Like, you know, that feeling when you're like, God, I need to crawl on a hole. Like I'm so stupid. Like I've gotten that so many times, but never let it like direct you a different direction. Like I think that is so important. Like that gut instinct, you got to trust it. Mm. Um, And I think as silly and repulsive as it seems, like always trust that gut feeling and it'll, it'll lead you to where you're supposed to be. I think. Oh, I, I hope so for me at least. Oh, <laughs> it, I, it totally will. I actually, I have chills over here. I'm so connected on, on that thought. My friends probably are exhausted by the ideas that, that I've shared, but you know what I, I share in this, this isn't meant to be morbid. It's meant to be funny, but um, I always say on my gravestone, you know, they can put, sh- they'll never say she didn't try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? And I love that. Like there's this quote and I'm, I don't even remember. It, but it's like failing and trying or whatever. Like if you don't try, you don't yes. fail. I don't even remember. But it's just like you got to try. Yes. At least you live with the fact that you went for it and it didn't work out, not the other way around. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, I think there's a part two, part three, part four here, Lauren. <laughs> this is not long enough. Oh my gosh. Well, well, I love it. And and you know, I love, this is always so cool um, for my guests to come on and really share passion, things that I'm passionate about as well. Specifically, you mentioned earlier how important informational interviews were and you did such a great job encouraging listeners to step out and just try, just try to connect with people. And it ties in so well. I'd love to know who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? Yeah, well, I'm I'm lucky in the fact that there's like 45 women who I think would all be incredible. <laughs> um, some of which are already are already been guests of yours. Oh. Um, but one that has been uh, really supportive and I love her work. And you know, we didn't even get to really dig into sustainability and what that means. But wow. um, Liz Brewer is a New York based, um, she has a pro marketing agency. She's one of our muses mm-hmm. and she has up a marketing agency called New Normal Bureau. And what they're really trying to do is like reconcept how consumers um, interact with brands and sustainability. I think wow. she, even on her own personal platform, does such an amazing job at like demystifying that like greenwashing that brands do which is so evident and and is one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the sustainability movement in fashion is how how greenwashed it is and how you know Mm. oh look what we're doing we're giving you different boxes it's like but where at this at the core and foundation of who you are are you actually building a business that's sustainable and and liz is really partnering with brands that um are, are really taking that on and um i just think she'd be she's been an incredible supporter of Dormar and connecting us with people and and I love the work she's doing. So um I 
I nominate Liz Brewer, one of our one of our muses. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for doing so. You all will have to be on the lookout for a potential episode with Liz. Well, I know many of you have already looked up Lauren. I'm sure you are following her on Instagram. But Lauren, you tell us, where can listeners connect with you? Yeah, well, I'll give you two ways. So I'm obviously going to plug Dora Mar here. So you can follow <laughs> us on Instagram at, at shop Dora Mar, and Mar has two A's there. Um, and then you can always feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I am not an influencer like our muses. So <laughs> feel free to message me um, at LT Wilson. It looks like it Wilson, but it really stands for Lauren Taylor Wilson. I've been trying to change my Instagram handle, but I think I've, I think it's like, it's been taken. So we're going to stick with LT Wilson. That looks like it. I love it. I love it. No, you guys will have to go and and find Lauren. And and I know you all enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. I'm sitting over here racking my brain. I'm like, wow, I feel like you just shared such an amazing wealth of knowledge. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Well, thank you, Emily. It was really, really a pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers or the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.